0: Come round for a kappa, Liz.
1: <laughs> okay, wait, hold on. Come, what, what? Uh, to the listeners, because they can't see this, Brace just stood, like, sat up straight in posture that I, don't, I didn't even know you were capable of. Mm. Held up a pantomime teacup, took a sip, paused, and then said, What did you say? Have a cuppa? That's a thing.
0: No, it's a thing. Oh, you're wrong. <laughs> Wait, now, no, it it's a thing. You're wrong, Liz. It is a it now and now. Just despite despite the way I talk <laughs> and my lifestyle <laughs> and the things that I represent. Now you look like the big fool. Up, do they say things like? No, this?
1: it's Australian now. No, no,
0: first of all, that's the, that is literally part of the UK. <laughs> It is part of the United Kingdom. If it's not part of the UK, then how come the Queen's in charge? Hmm. Huh? You think about that? Which technically would make this podcast part of the UK because the Queen's in charge here, too.
1: That's right. Not you.
2: (laughs) Jim,
1: Jim, Jim, Jim. Come here. Come here. Hello, brace. Lights, camera, truing
0: on. No, that's how we're opening every episode from now. I don't have to do more of my fucking. I'm not a goddamn baboon doing impression. Do you yeah, bat- you're a little
1: monkey. You're, a little mo- you're the stuff? little monkey man.
0: I don't. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess I'll take that. Yeah, or I'm grinding. I'm certainly grinding in Oregon right now.
1: Rise and grind, monkey man.
0: Um, that's my
1: new character, Rise and Grind Monkey Man.
0: Okay, just like a guy who's like really dedicated. He's like to... half
1: monkey, half man, and he's all about rise the resin grind.
0: That's what you. That's what you were thinking.
1: Not <laughs> no, just no, a hardworking no, this is my monkey. New car- no, no, no. The name was cute, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to tease out the character.
0: But that's a so horrifying. He, uh,
1: he, so it's a like half monkey, half man. Every morning he goes in, right up on the crypto exchanges, rise and grind, but baby.
0: Wh- what does he look like? I mean, that's a terrifying sort of image.
1: No, why would it be terrifying?
0: I mean, well, monkeys already are a type of man. Um, yeah, so I, he's double man. Ugh, I don't like that whatsoever. My name, <laughs> my, na- my, my, na- my name is Bryce.
1: <laughs> Awful. My name is Liz. Hello, everyone. Me produces Young Chomsky. <laughs> <laughs> this is True Anon. Welcome. I'm
0: gonna speak in Cockney rhyming slang Ugh. for this. Um, no,
1: you're not, because that's not what you're doing.
0: Bush knocked down the towers. What? No, I was sorry. I was a rap. I was doing, <laughs> you, I you just have Tourette's,
1: up. but it's you just saying like nine <laughs> <Yeah. things>. eleven. <laughs> he
0: did it. Mean, it's a song. <laughs> um, we have. I we. You know what? This is fucked up that I just did like uh, several minutes. Well, I guess I did Australian accent. We have a British guest. Yes, and. He's gonna listen to this and he's gonna be like, These guys are assholes.
1: No, he'll probably think it's funny.
0: He has such a charming accent. I love him so much. Yeah, he's great.
1: We have, uh, I think, one, I think, big fan favorite,
2: Tom Mm -hmm. Fowler,
1: back on the show, talking to us about the UK spy cops case, which is what he was on the show previously to talk about, but now we got updates.
0: Uh huh. And we got
1: updates that the lie and fake news media from both here and across the pond Mm -hmm. won't cover they won't cover it
0: i I do want to say a little uh little director's commentary here uh when uh when the word tranche or tranche rather is mentioned liz's face lit up (laughs) (laughs) she 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 went like this well i guess you can't see it when i'm doing it either but uh i'm gonna put my face really close to this uh high-end space age microphone i'm using Mm. and see if you can hear my skin crinkle Yeah, you Because you're so moist. Yeah. Well, I put on a lot. Oh my god. I put on a lot of stuff this morning.
1: <laughs> All your serums.
0: Oh <laughs>
1: <laughs> here's the thing. Oh, baby. Tranche is like our thing.
0: Yeah, we love tronches.
1: We always say that on the show. Oh, we love it. <laughs> no? Okay, let's not even say any of that because Brace has forgotten that we always make a we always make a face or a joke when we say tranche. And um, now you're pretending like you don't remember. I was literally, that was the point of the thing that I said. Well, now you're acting strange. Okay.
0: Uh, I, Liz, I'm not gonna say it. But <laughs> for those I'm not gonna say it. I know, I so right now, here's the thing, listeners. Aww, Liz is trying Rettler. to get me to say that they them pussy got me acting strange. <laughs> I'm not gonna say I so I'm not saying it there. I'm just saying what she wants me to say. Oh my god. I'm not gonna say That's it. You know what I'm Such
1: a cop out.
0: Uh no, it's not. Did you not want me to say that? You wanted me to say oh I. God. You're you're literally gaslighting me right now. Oh my God, you're such.
1: Yeah. You're such a little bully. bully yeah, brain.
0: Yes, I am. Being a bully is cool. Don't Sorry, bully me.
1: You don't bully your teammate. I'm bullying you right now. Yeah, that's not. That's you're breaking the bully rules.
0: Bully time <laughs> starts now. Roll the interview. <laughs> that they didn't pussy really do got me acting strange though. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest for you. Uh, one of my uh, one of my favorite guests, finally returning, Tom Fowler, now of the Spy Cops Info Podcast, which I have listened to and it's fantastic. Uh, we did a previous episode with him on the Spy Cops Inquiry, and actually, really, just about the whole Spy Cops scandal. Um, but uh, but we we the second sort of round of inquiries have been completed. Uh, in the UK and, uh, and now we have him back and Tom, for those of, uh, our listeners who maybe didn't listen to the last episode, can you give this kind of like a general sum up of what the fuck is going on with
2: sure man so like um well, i guess like 10 years ago now we discovered that there was a network of undercover police officers who'd been targeting political protest groups um before long we kind of found out that they would have been going back to the units were formed in 1968 um and there was like at least 10 undercover officers at any given time on like four to five year deployments throughout like left-wing environmentalists animal rights uh, progressive causes of various types um after like they kind of came out that they'd infiltrated things like the Stephen Lawrence family justice campaign and like other high profile things. And that they'd, um, these undercover officers like father children and done other loads of other fucking really bad shit, man. They had done loads of really bad shit. Uh, there was a bit of a fuss and thanks to like some internal disagreements between the then home secretary and the police, a public inquiry was called in 2015. It only started like last year in November. um, but yeah, it's kind of, it's been starting from 68 and like kind of going through the various undercover officers and kind of picking apart their deployments, I guess, to a certain extent. I mean, like, uh, it's been kind of limited in a lot of ways in what it's looked at, but we, it's the first time we've really got a glimpse of these secret units and how they targeted the left. Um, yeah. So this was the second phase. This looked at like 1973 to 84. So it was, um, it was a quite like an explosive time in, in British political history yeah. and it's been yeah, fascinating. Yeah.
1: And you've been following it because you have a personal connection with the entire history here.
2: Yeah. So like, I was a member of South Wales Anarchists. Um, during the 2000s, we were infiltrated by an undercover officer who used the name Marco Jacobs. Um, he was with, like, I hang I around with him a great deal for like four or five years. We were kind of like busy mates, sort of thing. Um turned, yeah, he disappeared. We, I was quite lucky in, in, compared to a lot of other people who were infiltrated. We found out quite quickly that he was an undercover cop within like a year or two. Um, a lot of other people spent 20 years kind of thinking that somebody in their group had been an undercover cop. So, uh, yeah, like I, I was one of like, one. uh, People may have heard there was like a, a number of women who'd been, um, deceived into long-term intimate sexual relationships with undercover officers brought, um, cases, uh, against them, against the police, not against the individual officers, against the police. Um, and there was, there was, so there was like 11 women and one man and I was the one man. Um, so I, I started kind of bringing like, um, going to court a lot. So I started like, because the coverage of this topic generally in the media has been very limited. Yeah. Um, mm. I've ended up like kind of using social media to cover it as much as I can really.
0: Yeah, I've noticed too, a lot of the coverage, I think, um, I mean, rightly so, like uh, the, the sexual relationships that these cops entered into with women are like, I mean, it's appalling, right? Like it, anybody who hears about it is like, that is a horrible fucked up tactic. But that seems to be what like a lot of the coverage revolves around because I think because it's, it's, it's not, you know, obviously it's shocking and stuff, but it's also salacious, right? You know, you got a little sure. bit of sex
2: in there and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, man. Fucking the tabloids love the sex, don't they, man? So yeah. like yeah, that that was definitely been like the majority of the media coverage. Also because like that was the big thing that came in out at first. And because the police spun it as like a rogue officer mm-hmm. and then a rogue unit, it was like, Oh, this was like this thing that went on that shouldn't have and like, and then the media, like kind of, there was a lot of coverage at the, at the beginning about that. And then like editors are like, well, we've covered that. Well, since then we found out so much more, so much information has kind of dripped, dripped out that like, we realized, yeah, it's not a rogue officer. It's not a rogue unit. No. This was not like accidental. You know, this was like, this is systemic, right? The whole thing's systemic. Uh, it goes back a long way. They had tradecraft manuals on this shit. Um, and, like, that kind of – but, like, I think for a lot of reporters, they kind of pitch that to their editors, and they just go, well, we've covered this. We covered this, like, eight years ago, and it was about the sex and stuff, so we're just not covering it anymore. I think that's part of the problem, amongst other things, you know. Yeah,
0: I mean, another thing, too, is that, like, this inquiry so, – so, I mean, for those who haven't picked up on it yet, there is this inquiry going on out there, which is an official government inquiry. Um, yeah. But it's also taking yeah. fucking forever. I mean, I, I was reading an interview with uh, I can't remember what, what a victim from uh, I believe one a woman who was uh, it, you know in one of these relationships in the '90s, and she's like, yeah, mm-hmm. like know, yeah, I've been going, but my, my I'm not going to be able to give evidence until 2024. And I mean, like we talked about last time we we interviewed, (laughs) this has been delayed and delayed and delayed, but Um, they finally did these four rounds of, of inquiry, I guess four weeks. I don't know. Four rounds is necessarily the way to describe it.
2: Yeah. So, so, so we had, we had like two weeks about November and then it was, um, three and a half weeks just now. Um, but then they just announced just when this one started that the next round, which was meant to be this November is being put back to next year at some point next year. They don't even say when. Uh, and then also that the next phase after that will be a year later again. So, we'll, uh, so, uh, tranche two, so we're still on tranche one. We've just done phase two. Mm-hmm. There's like numerous phases to each tranche. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, we're probably, yeah. 2024, I think is a bit, uh, that was Lisa who said that, um, she, she had, uh, and she, she was saying, yeah, that 2024, I think she was being optimistic personally. I, I think, um, I think like, um, I mean, there's a possibility that it'll never finish this inquiry, that it'll just get, like, yeah. mothballed. Um, but as we get closer to, like, the present day, because, like, the police have been dragging their heels. Of course. One, one of the big reasons for the delays is the police asking for anonymity orders, um, putting in judicial reviews, doing everything they can to slow down the process. Obviously, it's, they've got the documents and they've got to release the documents. So, like, they've dragged their heels on every step of that, on the redactions. So, like, I mean, that's what they do, they've they done for, like, the early 70s. Like, what, how do you think they're going to get to when it's, right, like, 10 right. years ago, man? It's, you know?
1: I know. It's like you're going to get to, like, the 2000s in, like, 10 years or something.
2: Exactly. I was gonna say well, like, the first chair has already died. Um, we're on the second chairman of the inquiry already. Like, I mean, if he dies
0: <laughs> Wait, the first chairman of the inquiry died?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Your Lord Justice Pitchford was the original chair of the inquiry. Like he wasn't that old, but yeah, I mean, this guy's older, I think, but yeah.
0: I got to say too, as, as an outside observer to the UK judicial system is I knew you, I knew they wore the funky little robes and the little hair, but there is a picture <laughs> of, I can't remember who it is, but in the first, um, like coverage of the week on that on that website, um, what, what's, what's the URL? The campaign opposing police surveillance.com. There we like, go. Snappy, snappy. That's us. <laughs> um, but there is a picture of, of, uh, of one of, I believe a magistrate, uh, in it. And,
2: but the man is, uh, so no, he's not a magistrate. He, I mean, he's a judge. Yeah. He's the chair. It's uh, uh, Sir John Mitting is his name. Well, yeah. He, he,
0: he looks like goddamn Santa Claus, uh, except not jolly <laughs> whatsoever. The, ru- the red is a truly un, um, dignified color for a robe.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. It's very funny. Um, looking. No offense. But, but so we're talking about
0: 72 to 84, you said in this. Mm. And yeah yeah yeah. Famously so in Britain those years were dominated by the far right. I spell, at least later, the, the 80s. I mean by by the, the yeah. emergence of the National Well, so Front. Not, I mean like so
2: in yeah, so in 1977 the National Front came third in the popular vote um in the general election. They didn't win any seats. Uh they won some council seats. Isle of Dogs was a famous one. Uh but like uh, they, they were, like, replacing the liberals as, like, the third biggest party in British politics. Now, I mean, Thatcher came on along in 79 and, like, stole all the policies. Yeah. Uh, I, well, not all the policies, but, like, you know, a lot of the policies. And, and the, also, like, the, the, the shtick, like, you know, they didn't have to see the exact policies, but people knew what, you know... Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, yeah. dog whistle kind of shit, but yeah, like they really, really were on the rise, and uh, um, at, you know, at the same time as they were like kind of presenting this political force, they were also on the streets in a really big way. Um, certain parts of Britain, which were like kind of, because uh, they, they were t- they were doing marches through multicultural areas, there was like there was all these little splinter groups. Like one of them we heard about at the inquiry was the Dagenham Axe Clan, cl- Clan with a K, um, that would go around and throw like axes through the windows of like, um like they were in Dagenham, which at the time was a very white area. Yeah. So like, you know, they, they didn't have many people to go for, but they found like some mixed race woman who had a Jewish husband and they like, they, you know, they, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, like things like that was, it was quite common at the time Like there was a lot of it happening in the UK. So, you know, a lot, as you'd imagine, you know, the left's biggest it kind of thing at the time was anti-fascism, right? Like that was, you know, and uh, so you had all these really big demonstrations like um like last time I was on we talked a lot about the anti-vietnam war movement uh, and mm-hmm. like that was the original yeah, sort of yeah, group yeah. that was targeted um after 68 uh, you know the 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 uh, big right in um, in Grosvenor Square outside the US embassy but the next big thing that happened was the anti-apartheid movement um, and that was the next big thing they targeted which was uh you know uh, solidarity with Black South Africa, you know, opposing the the apartheid regime in South Africa, um, and the, there was I think called the Stop the Seventy tour, where um, a cricket team, a cricket's really big in, in England, you may have heard of it, um, and like the mm-hmm. it's also in South Africa, and there was a tour planned, and there was like a, a campaign to like kind of people running on the pitch, you know, stopping these kind of these games happening, and this was kind of mm-hmm. this became sort of like the number one target for the undercover police after they'd kind of decided that they'd kind of done. Um, I mean, they hadn't completely done it, but they'd kind of finished with the Vietnam solidarity campaign. And there was actually, interestingly, that we heard a bit about the Palestine solidarity campaign, which started around then. They infiltrated that right from the get-go as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I read it. It started like right in 67. They sent undercover
2: officers. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is one of the things which I, I think last time I was on, I didn't really sort of underline enough, is that like these undercover officers that we're talking about, when we talk about like, the spy cops, um, special demonstration squad, the National Public Order Intelligence Unit, these are like full, full deep cover officers undercover officers. Right. And they were recruited from, from like the um, C section of special branch, which are like already political police who used to turn up to demonstrations and meetings in plain clothes. Now for me, for a long time as an activist, when I was younger, I kind of thought that's what undercover police were. Right. There were these guys who turned up to meetings and protests in plain clothes, but like to the police, that's not, that's not undercover officers. That's plain clothes officers. Right. So like, um, a lot of the before these units were formed, like they were recruiting quite heavily from people who'd done that kind of work. And like a lot of the of, uh, undercover officers we heard evidence from um, at this like, stage of the inquiry, they said, Oh, I was, you know, I'd been in C section for years. You know, I, I already was familiar with the targets, I was already familiar with the, the mm. networks or whatever. I was just going into them now, you know, like properly.
0: So, yeah, w- yeah. what were some of the groups that they they targeted? I mean, let's, let's start kind of with the early 70s. I, I noticed that Socialist Workers' Party comes up a lot, and that was. Less so now, but certainly was a pretty big group in the seventies uh, in, in in the UK. Right, I mean, Trotskyism and the UK has always you- had a let's say a special relationship. But uh, the the, the they, they they seem to have like a lot of front groups, which the which the special branch, or rather, excuse me, the SDS infiltrated heavily. I mean, I'm talking about mm-hmm. some of the stuff that I was reading in mm-hmm. here. I mean, they were they were the granular level of detail. Uh, that that they were taking from these groups and writing up reports on. I mean, we're talking lists of who's babysitting whose kids with pictures of the kids in these sort of mm. reports. And so, like, w- yeah. you know, what 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 yeah. like, what what actual like groups were they were they really like kind of going after here?
2: So uh, at the time, the Socialist Worker Party was originally called the International Socialists. Um, they changed their name to Improve Paper Sales because the paper was called the Socialist Worker. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like anybody in the UK who's familiar will know that like the SWP is all about paper sales. Oh, um, yeah. Which is really interesting, actually. When we heard from Paul Cray, one of the undercover officers, he was still kind of a bit hung up on the paper selling thing. Like he, had, like he kind of, you could, see, you could hear it in him. He was like kind of, an, and then we do this and that, and hopefully we'd sell lots of copies of Socialist Worker. <laughs> and, like it was put to him that he wasn't a very good seller yeah, well,
0: that's the most important thing. I mean, that's uh, – you could say that is actually like a pretty important way to strike back at the spy cops is doing the t- classic Trotskyist tactic of you have to sell this
2: newspaper uh, every day for some reason. <laughs> right. Yeah. But like, I mean like yeah, when we talk about – so like um, there was the anti-apartheid movement was literally the name of the, of the thing and the yeah. Stop the 70 tour. was like the the, the – the, original enemy. But then the next big one was like, obviously Ireland was like a really big, you know, I mean, obviously Ireland is still a big issue in, in British politics, but, um, like, uh, in the early seventies, where the, a group called the Troops Out movement started, mm-hmm. um, which was like a, you know, an unaffiliated to Irish republicanism campaign. It was very much set itself as like kind of a, you know, a non-sectarian, like uh, bring the troops home, you know, don't let, you know, don't have the troops on the ground in Northern Ireland. We love um, our squaddies. We want them back. Like, I shouldn't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, it wasn't, you know, I mean, like, I think there was definitely an attempt by, maybe a slightly cynical yeah. attempt by those on the left to try and to tap into, like, kind of that kind of... So it was, like, very broad-based, you know, lots of, like, you know...
0: Yeah.
2: ...vicars and fucking politicians involved. But, like, um, Rick Gibson, who was one of the undercover officers, um, I mean, he, man- he was one of the ones who, like, really, like, learned how to use, like, having sex relationships with people in order to get himself, like, up, yeah. in, up the levels of the organisation. I mean, he ended up as national convener of the organisation. I mean, like... like there's uh there was later another undercover officer that ended up like you're on the central committee like and not for like a short period like 18 months he was national i mean this is not like um some sort of you know he's not like i'm in the group he's like running the national network the national kind of campaign like the whole thing. Um, So like, yeah, they, they, I think one of the reasons why they were the, the police really like kind of infiltrated the international socialists and the Socialist worker party, which was their s- successor so deeply is partially because um it was possible to do that. Like kind of, there's lots of elected position. I mean like, you know, the people who infiltrated the anarchists, the best they could do was hang around freedom press a lot and like kind of hope to bump into right, people right, and become right. buddies with people and shit. to like kind of work their way up. Whereas in the SWP, you just, I mean, like, so Rick Gibson, there wasn't a branch in the area that he was set to. So he, he kind of, he contacted, um, someone, Richard uh, Rich Jessman. So like set up a branch and he like, he contacted the national, he was like, oh, we, we need a branch in this area. Then he became the rep for that branch. And then he got the rep for that branch to become like rep for the region. And then he became rep for London, you know, and he kind of moved his way up through the ranks, um, just sort of like kind of creating, we had a few examples of that. I mean, particularly with the Maoists, um, like there was one, which was like a three, like one of the other couple started his own faction with like members of other Maoist groups, like like who had been expelled and they started this and they produced like one pamphlet that was denouncing all the other Maoist groups. I, I gotta be honest. I like, it's, it's been an education for me in like, kind of like I'm an anarchist, right? So yeah. like my history, like I kind of know the anarchist stuff and I read all the old anarchy magazines, you know, we had about Albert, it was, uh, we had Albert Meltzer and like Stuart Christie quite a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. These are like kind of, you big know, fan, big, fan big, big of names here. in British yeah, yeah, anarchism. Yeah. Man, Stuart Christie, anarchist granddad, man. Like, I mean, it really sad that he died last year, you know, for a long time at the anarchist book Mm. fair in London. It was like one of those people you'd be like kind of, oh, hello, Mr. Christie. You know, it was kind of exciting to meet, but. I've used, I used a lot of his work on this show. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Towards the citizens militia. Yeah. Um, But like he, um, yeah, but in terms of like the the Maoist stuff, I had no idea. I didn't realize like so much of that stuff. And it was quite interesting to kind of, they were quite small groups, but they, I mean, they were heavily infiltrated like everybody else was. Mm. Uh, though the cops who are, who did that, like that was like a really bum deal. Lots of the other cops were I like, oh, couldn't have done that. Couldn't have infiltrated, mm. couldn't have infiltrated those. You know, it was too much, too much reading, too much, like too involved, you know, <laughs> and like, and the men were always getting told off, you know, for being misogynist, you know? <laughs> well, we had
0: here in America, actually one of the sort of like, there was a, there was a, um, a group, a Maoist group, started entirely and staffed entirely by the FBI. Actually, we interviewed an author, he, not Fantastic. about the book he wrote about that, but there's a book called, I believe, Heavy Radicals, um, which is mm-hmm. about just FBI infiltration of Maoist groups in the 70s. And they started their own and started sending out. And I mean, there was no actual group that you could join, but they sent out newsletters to different people right. and like, you know, presented themselves as like a Maoist branch of the Communist Party USA. And so, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of times, mm. unfortunately, as a Maoist, most Maoist groups had, do have uh, somewhere Well, you can count the guys <laughs> in your fingers. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I saw that. I mean, and these officers too would, would go from group to group to group as well.
2: Um, I mean, I think like the, the thing was like the, the office, like what we found out was that early on, like officers could kind of do what they wanted. They were like, we need someone in this part of London. So like, go and join whatever's happening in that area, you know? Uh, and like, but they were given a lot of leeway. Like I say, like Rick Gibson started up his own group, uh, in that area. Like, other people like, um, you know, like, like say, Vince Miller, who we heard quite a lot about because he had a relationship with um, a woman who gave evidence, Madeleine. Um, He was in Walthamstow, and, like, I mean, the amount of information he had about people who'd, like, bought copies of Socialist Worker in Walthamstow, it wasn't just, like, people who, like, turned up to demonstrations or members of the party. It was, like, people who turned up to one meeting, like, you know, like public meetings about one topic, yeah. you know, like, some local issue, maybe, or, like, people who just regularly bought the paper. You know, I mean, we heard from, like, Paul Gray um, about, like you know, just some 15 year old lad who'd like had a problem with racists in his school, who'd like, you know, kind of talk to the, had S- like, gone to SWP paper sales to get in the face of the national front. And I mean, like he'd had a res- registry file opened on him at like 15, you know, he's being spied on from an early age. I mean, like, you know, the- oh, so the registry files are like the, um, they're the MI5 files, which like the special branch have access to. So they're like the kind of the bit of the security services, as opposed to the plod, you know, the police that are like mm-hmm. kind of go between the two um so like having a registry file on you is like that's your card marks and you know and like the people getting these registry files on them for like very little
1: you started earlier you were saying about the difference between plain clothes and deep cover like that Mm. that that kind of the perception being that they're like we kind of understood, but the slow drip of information that's coming out is that, you know, in order for them to infiltrate and be kind of able to infiltrate all these different groups, it's like a totally different level of intelligence that these, like intelligence level training that these guys are working with. I think that's like been, that was really surprising to me reading all of this stuff. Because I think I was like you, it's like, oh, I think I understand how this works. You know, it's like everyone thinks, oh, he's a cop, oh, he's a Fed, But it's like a totally different level um, of training you've been involved.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think like one of the things which I think is really kind of like the most sort of most shocking, I mean like fucking hell there's, you can't, there's so much shocking shit, but like one of the things that really kind of is how much they use trauma. Right. So a lot of people who were infiltrated, um, had, you know, like certain traumatic things that happened in their lives. And we see those like echoing in like, um, later deployments like undercover cops have picked it up as like oh this is a good like little th-. so then it turns up as like a so you know they've always like their parents are always dead they've been fostered or adopted um there's like you know the, the breakup of a relationship is like there's certain sort of like kind of hallmarks that a lot of the undercover officers had which they'd built up from like kind of studying the lives of activists and what activists are like and if you look through like the tradecraft manual, you're seeing like kind of, you know, these kind of, act- this group, they're like this, they've got these sort of, a lot of it like kind of cartoonish and like bullshit, you know, but a lot of it is like kind of, ooh, I feel seen, you know what I mean? So yeah, there's like, there's definitely like a lot more kind of, there's a lot more in it than like even, uh, like, particularly like when we, we, we heard about like kind of the level to which like, It's because it's not just like, you know, when I say, oh, if you bought copies of Socialist Worker in in Walthamstow in the late 70s, you were on a list. It wasn't just your name. It was your address, your job, if you're a member of a trade union, how much you earned, who you lived with, uh, what you looked like, what people you lived with looked like, what they did for a job, if they were members of a trade union, where they went on to move to next. I mean, we had some files where like kind of has not been involved in radical politics for three years. And that's the opening line, you know, about this person, right? So I mean, like... You know, it's just literally like kind of, you know, I mean, I mean one of the interesting ones, so like uh, Lord Peter Hayne was one of the people who gave evidence, who was targeted quite a lot because he been very involved mm. in the um, anti-apartheid movement. I mean, mm-hmm. he was being spied on in 2003, um, where he was described in an undercover police report as a South African terrorist. Now, at the time, he was a member of the British cabinet, Blair's cabinet, right? They have just gone to a fucking war with Iraq. He was Welsh secretary. He was father of the House of Commons. Like... I mean, I mean, admittedly he was a labor party politician, right. And you can never truly join the established establishment in this country. Unless you're, to- I mean like, you know, it was a labor government, but it's the talk, to- like the conservative party is their state, right. Britain is their state. They right, kind of, right, you know, right. like they're, they're always in charge really. So like, I guess he was never fully, you know, in this country, you can't, fu- you, you're still, you'll still be spied on like unless yeah. you're a Tory. Cause we, we, could, we haven't found any Tories yet, but you
0: know. Oh no, no. Yeah. And that, that, that sort of brings me, I mean, speaking of, of- of Tories and their, you know, sort of their little step cousins or I would say step brothers in the National Front. I mean, you talked about earlier, the National Front starts mm. in 1977, right? And I, I think that like, I mean- oh, no,
2: So it didn't start then, but that's its high watermark. Oh, okay, yeah yeah, 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 But So I, I forget the year it starts. I, I think it starts in like uh, late 60s, Um, but it's, it's small at first, but it really grows to like being- the national party of British fascism um, by, by 77 in that election stands a lot of candidates. That's also, I mean, it sort of coincides with the rise of just the
0: skinhead movement. I don't know what you want to call it in, in the UK. Uh, and, and a
2: lot of like, I would say on the skinhead thing, like, I mean, it, so, I mean, no, no, you, you're kind of right. You're kind of right. I mean, like, um, but the skinhead movement's bigger than that. I mean, like, you yeah. know, there was a lot of, um, skinheads, uh, who were joining left-wing groups involved oh. in anti-fascist organizing at the time. You know what I mean? No, I'm, um, I'm familiar. It's a two-sided yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like, I mean, I, I live in South Wales. So like the local, like skinheads around here, like the oppressed who are like kind of, you know, very much, um, you know, like we'll never let you like mention skinheads without bringing this fact up. So, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I'm a rocker, baby.
0: I know. I'm familiar. I had all the Cockney Rejects <laughs> records. I got the Impressed record. Also, unfortunately, I had the Combat 84 record, but I didn't know about them back then. Um, but, uh, yeah, the um, – the, but But, you know, there was a huge surge in far-right violence just on the streets of England. Mm-hmm. I mean, that mm-hmm. is like, you know, without a doubt. I think maybe American, you know – Americans might, might know that. I mean, just, you might just know about it, but you know, there was that, uh, that, that, uh, what was that? This is England movie that came out that sort of yeah, showcased yeah, yeah. that, yeah. Uh, pretty well. Um, but, yeah. uh, but what's yeah. a sort of astounding is that the only case of SDS infiltration of far right groups uh, that, that I'm familiar with in this comes from a member, of a cop, joining the Socialist Workers Party, I believe, and the Socialist Workers Party, it was Workers Revolutionary Party, me. Workers Revolutionary, Revolutionary Party, Party yeah. yeah, and the Workers Revolutionary yeah. Party, having them go undercover to join. Uh, I, I don't know exactly which group it was, but I. Um,
2: so it was uh, it was League of Saint George. I mean, he was infiltrating like basically the local branch, of the National Front, yeah. but it was League of Saint George was there. Kind of was who oh, he he kind of he. Went back to his superiors. Went, oh, these these guys seem pretty serious. Maybe we should infiltrate these. They were like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it, son. Don't yeah, worry about yeah, that. yeah, don't yeah. And I think it really feeds into this thing we kind of, we see a lot, you know, of like kind of I don't know about the US, but in, I guess it probably is the same over there. But in the UK, there's this kind of feeling that whilst like left wing politics is like sedition, like working for foreign governments, you know, kind of trying to overthrow society, that like like extreme racism and fascism are like legitimate white working class concerns. You know, we saw it much more recently with the rise of the English defense league, like 10 years ago, Mm. where we had like senior police officers saying that the Muslim group should engage with the legitimate concerns of the English defense league. It's like, I, you know, I mean, there's this, there's this kind of this thing that like for for the establishment, you know, the the far right are a, well, the, they're useful, right? They're like kind of, they, and I think this is so much about what the actual, the point of these undercover deployments was, because it was about fighting social attitudes. And like, obviously they didn't need to fight those social attitudes. I mean, those social attitudes like really fitted into their own agenda. So like, why would you want to like dampen them Right, 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 right. So yes, there was none of the far right, but the anti-fascists, I mean, boy, did they get fucking infiltrated in a big way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a yeah. seriously big way. I mean, because...
0: There was there was a really big anti fascist movement in the UK in the in the seventies and eighties. I mean, there was mm. you know obviously Searchlight magazine, all that kind of stuff. But but this tactic of even having uh, members go undercover into right wing groups was like actually surprisingly mm. pretty common one. Which which you, you see, I see a lot in the UK. Not sure how much that happened in the US, but also the US uh, our far right sort of manifested itself into militia movements, which were. Well, the FBI had a lot of engagement with them um which, you know, culminated <laughs> in the Oklahoma City bombing which the FBI did, but uh it not not it was not the same sort of engagement as 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 left-wing groups and right-wing mm. groups had in the UK. Um but uh there was the big battle of Lewisham. Can you tell us Oh, but Lewisham, yeah, it's Lewisham
2: 1977. Yeah, man. I mean like yeah, Lewisham. I mean, I think like um, so. Lewisham was a very multicultural area, um, and there was a real sort of like what the National Front sort of tactic was at the time was to go to like um, the most multicultural place they could, um, and you know do a show of strength through it. They had a section of the National Front called the Honour Guard <laughs> because obviously these people are fucking weird, yeah. Uh, and like they would be all like kind of in you know you know streetwear but in uniform with like you know turn up, uh, stay press. Uh, jeans, bomber jackets, this sort of certain look, big boots. Uh, and they would go through and, like, you know, uh, there would be, like, increases in racial attacks in those areas after they'd done the marches, you know, kind of – it was really kind of designed to sort of – to make a – you know, to to, to to kick things off. There, there was – you know, the far right have always been about kind of kicking off a race war, right? So this was, like, kind of an attempt at that sort of thing. And Lewisham, I think, was, like, the moment when um, – so, like, we had a few undercover police talk about it as, like, kind of that's when British public order policing changed. Um, that we started seeing the rise of like the, um, the riot cop, as we know of them now, you know, these body armored mm-hmm. kind of guys that like, if you, I mean, you can fight the riot cop all you like, man, you ain't hurting him. Like when he's in all that gear, you ain't hurting him. But back then yeah. you could fight a cop. You could actually fight the cop, you know, you'd like me probably lose, <laughs> but you could fight one, you know, you could actually, you know, you could, you could have a cop, have a pop, like, you know, um, you could, you could get, you could get fist to face yeah yeah it would be physically possible yeah physically possible not went over like yeah 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 for sure so like this was kind of um so yeah like lewisham was like the the the, the moment where like kind of anti-fascists were like right now fuck this we're yeah. like you were, and there was you know there, there was significant violence um you know uh nobody was killed uh there was eight. you know there was 18 undercover officers there that day um interestingly you know we go on two years to um the um Oh God, I'm trying to think of the name of the bloody, the location of it. Uh, Southall, Southall. Southall in 1979, where a, a member of the Socialist Workers' Party, Blair Peach, was beaten to death by um, members of the Special Patrol Group, which is the specialist unit that had been set up after uh, Lewisham. Um, like, only one undercover officer admits to have been there, which is obviously a fucking lie. Um, you know, the, 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 they were heavily, heavily um, infiltrating the. The anti-fascist movement at that time and like you know that we the reports we've got from that you know it's 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 about everything right it's about everything it's it's the same as everything else you know it's the, the detail no detail too small right everything recorded uh particularly of course like um the personal detail the personal sort of yeah, you know, all the pretty girls right they list all the pretty girls and like and and like kind of their, mm. their, 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 the size of their chests and all that kind of stuff you know but like um yeah, but by the time you've got to like the late seventies, um, the, the National Front have really been like kind of uh, they, they've become like a you know a, a significant threat. I think to anybody like you know there's 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 numerous like kind of uh, race attacks. Um, there's splinter groups like Column eighty eight, um, the Acne, uh, the mm-hmm. Dalston Axe Clan, uh, who are like going around throwing axes through the windows of like mixed race couples and stuff. Uh, and you get things like the these community defense groups springing up. Um, which are like, you know, uh, admittedly, like kind of inspired by the left, but the bit is bigger than that. And I mean, this was the thing that the, the police really realised they couldn't deal. That this was the problem. You know, that they this is why they were maybe one of the reasons why they were so desperate for like the slightest bit of information about anybody who was vaguely connected, because you know a lot of these people who are fighting the fascists back, they're not like. They're not Trotskyites. They're not, no, isn't it all no, those fucking words mean? They just live here. And these are the people who are fucking making their lives misery. You right. know what I mean? So like a lot of anti-fascists yeah, weren't yeah, coming yeah. from a political place and the police were like, shit, how do we, how do we stop those ones? You know, um, there was a really famous, uh, rock against racism gig with like the clash in 1978. It was in Victoria Park. Right, it was, like, right, really yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a famous concert. Isn't that film, rude boy. I don't know if you know the clash, but it's in the film, rude boy. Mm-hmm, it's like yeah, a really yeah, famous yeah, kind yeah, of, of and like it, you know, hundred thousand people turned up. Right, it's like this. It's like uh, the undercover officers had no idea it was going to be that big. I mean, the organizers who we we spoke to, they had no idea it was going to be that big either. It was like, whoa, shit! This is, <laughs> you know, it's, it turned into a massive event. And there was there was. um you know, from the, like, the public order unit within Special Branch, they weren't really angry with the SDS. Like, what, you know, we didn't, you didn't tell us there was going to be this many people. And there's a National Front demonstration mm. tomorrow, and there's hun- tens of thousands of anti-fascists in London especially. How are we meant to guarantee the safety of the National Front tomorrow? I mean, that, you know, that's, that's an internal memo.
1: That's the key. You surprise the organizers, and then you can surprise the cops.
2: <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. That's what we can yeah, learn yeah. from this. <laughs> hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually it really is, you know, it's the spontaneous stuff they can't fucking deal with, you know,
1: or just, yeah. I mean, I think that's such a fascinating point about, you know, the, uh, you know, for people who don't understand the, the history there, but with the anti-fascist movement in Britain in the late seventies, early eighties, like being as big as it was and really being like, just about like, like neighborhoods and families, like protecting mm. their streets, like quite literally, um, mm. It, and it being almost apolitical at that point, right? And that being the the biggest threat to the cops, because they had no they they have no like there's no pathway for them to get into just like literally regular working people's homes that are not um politically active on that kind of like vanguard front. that's like a really right. important th- I, I think an important kind of um, like organizing point to internalize, really
2: yeah i think absolutely and i think like uh you know it's that thing of like kind of if you know if, if revolution means anything it has to be like rooted in everyday life all that shit that's really true yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah like how do you how do you break into family units i mean the police found ways um family sure. justice campaigns of which we hear that like, the first one with with the blair peach campaign which is really heavily targeted and we, we we heard a lot about that this this phase but like in future phases they you know they like pretty much every single person who was killed but by the police or in a racist attack and then there was a family justice campaign about it they made sure they infiltrated that they put a lot of resources into those because they saw those as like kind of more dangerous than the left almost you know these are like mm. ordinary working class people organizing for themselves and and they're ethnic minorities oh my god fucking hell that's like the worst thing <laughs> one that, you two know, punch they can fucking imagine all right <laughs> for real
0: yeah, I, I mean, that—that that is an interesting point because, like, if there's anything you can learn from these inquiries and, like, something that, I mean, I myself am very intimately familiar with is that left-wing organizations often have a lot of um, problems. I mean, everything from paranoia, which actually in this case would have been justified, um, but to bizarre, like, you know, parliamentary maneuverings and, like, you know the 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 psychology of being in some of these groups, I think, makes your brain a little twist. I mean, they're mm. they're talking about I, I think it was Diane Langford, uh, who was in the Women's Liberation Front, mm. um, who, who gave evidence. Mm. Uh, there was a there was an SDS. I think a, a woman officer from the SDS uh, joined the Women's Liberation Group mm. and got her
2: Sandra, yeah, yeah,
0: got her ousted as the leader by leading a campaign <sighs> against her.
2: Yeah, right yeah I mean, that, that's something we see a few times essentially like you had this thing of like kind of these these officers who were like kind of getting themselves up into power they were doing it at the expense of other people like I mean we, we had a number of undercover officers going well I didn't do anything I might have got elected that position but I didn't do anything I didn't do any work as that position I just got the position because I was asked to and people elected me to do it but I didn't want it and I didn't do anything but like what you actually see is, is like yeah you went and replaced a really capable person who was really driven and would have done a really good job And you went and sat in that position and like fucked about and like kind of denounced some people and split the group and expelled someone. And yeah, I mean like, yeah, you didn't do much except for, you know, make a mess. Like you've just told on yourself. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, she gave, she gave evidence that, uh, that, that, that Sandra Davies like ignored, there was like a rape allegation Mm. at one of these meetings. And she just totally shunted that aside Mm. with, with the intention of, of focusing on Langford and her partner. And like, and just like ridiculing them and getting them out of power. And so like, yeah, I mean, these things do actually have some pretty big, I mean, even if they say like, oh, you know, I was just sort of sat in this position on this group that would have disappeared in a few years. Anyway, it's like, you know, I mean, Mm. certainly that may be literally true, But, uh, you know, there's a lot of details Mm -hmm. here, I think, that are pretty important.
2: I mean, it's worth noting that, like, kind of, I mean, if you read the Women's uh, Women's Liberation Front, I mean, it was a Maoist front, Mm -hmm. to be honest. Um, But, like, you know, their campaign points, you know, they're full of things which now you'd go, like, what? Like, I mean, remember back then, like women couldn't have their own bank accounts in Britain, <laughs> you know, right. like you could, yeah, I mean, like, you know, rape inside marriage was only made illegal in 1990 in the UK. Right. You know, they, yeah. like, there's a lot of things that are, you know, like the rights of somebody born outside wedlock was significantly less than somebody born inside, wedlock. all these, so many of these things, right. Which well, th- their campaign points were kind of pretty, you know, <laughs> like pretty reasonable, I mean, like some of the kind of uh, quite radical even now, but like, I think we'd all probably agree with them, but like the most of it is kind of sounds like pretty middle of the road stuff. Um, so like, you know, like taking down those sort of groups, it's like, wow, they really were at war with certain social attitudes. You know, it's like with the troops out movement and the anti-apartheid movement, these were really popular things. They had like a lot of widespread support in the country, you know? And I mean, like, so the troops out movement, like never really kind of got anywhere particularly, but like, there was a lot of support for their line, you know, this sort of like, you know, we're not, um, we're not supporting Irish Republicanism. We're not saying that Ireland should be reunited, but we're saying that we shouldn't have a military operation happening in, in Northern Ireland, you know? And that, that right. was like quite, you know, that opinion polling kind of put that as like kind of majority position right so you know the, the and like same with the anti-racism you know and the anti fascism these were big cultural social movements you know of like kind of which went yeah. beyond politics and they were fighting against them as much as they were for like kind of little groups that were doing something specific
1: What has been like the most, you know, after this phase of the inquiry, like what has been the most surprising for the, of the like drip, slow drip that's come out or even from like from a procedural standpoint?
2: I mean, procedurally, I mean, it's been, uh, we've definitely kind of got a sense of how this is all going to work now. Um, like, I mean, it's really telling apart from Diane Langford who forced her way in by being mentioned so much in the first phase. And she was like, hang on, (laughs) like. You've, made, Wait, you've, you've named me repeatedly. I would like demand to give evidence this inquiry. Yeah. Um, everybody else apart from like Dr. Norman temple, who like, obviously the inquiry like, once this woman from the Maoists had like forced her way in, he was like, well, we have to get a man from the Maoists cause we can't trust a woman. I mean, they're still, mm. you know, it's still <laughs> dripping with misogyny itself. It's, it's an establishment institution, right? So they had sure. Dr. Norman temple. who was like, I don't want to slag anybody off on the, like the anti-state side, but like he was a terrible witness. Jesus wept. God, he was awful. Ed Dorian, man. Ed Dorian from the from the Irish Republican Socialist Front. Oh, he was a bad man. He didn't like him. He used the entire time giving evidence to slag him off. But anyway.
0: Um, he was just denouncing another guy. All right. Classic.
2: Yeah, yeah. He just used the, like, classic Maoist man. Do you know what I mean? And, and like, when he was asked directly about the <laughs> undercover office, he was like, oh, I didn't really know him. It was just like, well, Ed Dorian, though. Ed Dorian was like Trump. <laughs> oh, he was awful. It was like... But, um, but like in terms of like kind of the, the line of questioning that we, we've we seen, a lot of it's been particularly early on in the proceedings, like a non-state, non-police core participants, which is what they like to call members of the public. It's like this really long-winded mm-hmm. name to like, you know, only, in, only like kind of establishments so, well, you're not the police, you're not the state. So what do we call you? Oh, you're the non-police, non-state people. It's like, no, we're the public, mate. That's just, mm. Anyway, but like the, <laughs> yeah, the question yeah, yeah. been very Citizens, hostile. Yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. Like, um, well, we're subjects, technically, in Britain. We're not citizens. But, um, like, the, there's, oh, like, right. um, yeah, shit, mate. That's honestly, it's like fucking living in the fucking Middle Ages sometimes. Um, damn it. But, like, there was this, like, kind yeah. of, um, <laughs> there's like, these, this sort of, like, the, the way that it's structured is very much, like, kind of, yeah, but you were being violent, weren't you? Like, you may not have been being violent, but you could see mm. how that disorder would be distressing, don't you? I mean, what were the police meant to do? How, I mean, you know, like you may say that you were engaging with the police, but there were, there were sections within your group that were like, would, would cause disorder. I mean, how else were they meant to know without putting undercover officers into your group? Now, obviously the nature of inquiries is, is that like, you've got counsel for the inquiry and then like all the other sort of the interested parties submit questions to them for the witnesses, right? So we're saying like, we want you to ask this from my, my lawyer be like, Oh, I want these things asked. And the police would be like, want these things asked. Right. But like the tone and the tenor of it has been very hostile and accusatory and kind of aggressive in places. And particularly in some cases, like really kind of like taking people back, to incredibly traumatic events, whether that's like the first time they had sex with this guy who was undercover officer Mm. or like when their partner was murdered by the police and made them relive that day, which I mean, I've got to be honest, like, cause I totally immersed myself in it. I got like much more emotionally, like upset about that than I probably should have done. Cause I just thought fucking like, what the fuck are these people doing this for? Like, and it just shows a, there's a lack of respect for the, like the, the the shattered lives that they've got in front of them Uh, at the same time. There's, you know, it's telling the only time that the, uh, the chair of the inquiry, like he'd, after anybody gave evidence, he'd thank them. But the only time he ever said, Oh, thank you for being an honest witness was to undercover cops mm. who hadn't been fucking honest by anybody's fucking metric. Like Jesus. I mean, things definitely changed when, um, there was the questioning of Madeline, which was again, very hostile, I thought. And then the next day they had the questioning of Vince Miller, who was the undercover officer who, she'd had a re- sex relationship with. Um and he was like, um I don't know how the hell he was the to of a cop because he gave away every tell in the world of lying. He was like it, you know, he was sweating profusely. He was he was like this on the screen, like kind of like edging off the out of the corner. Um he was playing with his neck and his forehead and like doing pulling on his ear and just doing every tell He's in the world. Pull on his like ear from, from a TV show itself.
1: or something.
2: Yeah. Pull <laughs> on the ear is the most <laughs> obvious one. No one even does that. I know right I know it was like a joke almost because what's interesting is because none of that footage, I mean, the chair can see it. I could see it and the people in the viewing room could see it, but that no longer exists that the audio doesn't even exist anymore. They don't keep the audio. Um, So you've just got the written record of it. Yeah. So like technically this whole event, if it wasn't for COVID, it would be happening uh, all in the same room and there would be just the stenographer's transcript, you know, no photographs, no audio. Oh, I see. Um, Because of COVID, it's been broadcast admittedly inside a closed circuit with certain people being allowed to hear the audio of it if they kind of put a request in. Uh, but like, yeah, when it's, when it's up, when COVID's over, there'll be none of that. There'll be no broadcasting of it at all. So people have been able to follow it. I, a lot of it quite easily. Um, the non-state corporate, well, I say easily, I mean, it's not, none of it's easy. It's designed to be alienating and confusing the whole fucking process. But, um, it is possible if you get like kind of access to the audio to kind of follow things. Um, but like once it's in person again, unless you actually physically turn up, there's no way you could follow it, you know?
1: Um, We mentioned the like lack of press coverage and I mean, at least in, Mm. I mean, obviously in the U S there's been literally zero. That's not that surprising, Mm. but you know, the UK press hasn't been all over this stuff either. Um, I, I don't even know how many, I mean, certainly in the States, I don't even know how many people, including like journalists are aware of this. Um, but it's been sort of shocking. Um,
2: Yeah. I mean, I think like, so we've had, um, like there's, uh, Rob Evans at the guardian who like has right. been following this story since the very beginning. And he files stories on it as often as he can. Mm. So during the inquiry, there was a new article every day. I mean, because of the nature of the press, he's filing at like midday, early afternoon. And the inquiry is running to like seven in the evening. And then there's another day tomorrow. So like it's kind of what he actually kind of puts into the press is kind of, it's not the whole picture at all. And then, then the morning star, the, the, the People's Daily, the uh, left-wing daily English newspaper, the only one I think in the world still.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've had we've had a we've had a guy on from there.
2: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so Bethany Riley from them. She was at the Inquiry every day, and like fair play to her, she stayed there all day. I and mean, again, she had to file in the early afternoon, but she actually stayed the whole thing. And kind of, I think she's got like kind of she's immersed herself in it as much as any of the activists did. Um, and like she's you know filing regular reports, but like in both cases, every one of them sort of like reintroduces the topic to the reader because like. And it's such a fucking complex topic, right? There's, it's a hard thing to kind of get across to people unless you go into massive depth. So if you look at the daily reports that the, we did as well, the campaign opposing police surveillance, which I'm part of, um, did daily reports, you know, we're like so detailed because like nobody else is doing the detail, like at all you know, it's it's just completely missing because those who are covering it. So like Dominic Cancini from the BBC uh, and Simon Israel from Channel 4 both kind of covered it in like limited amounts, but mm-hmm. both of them had terrible trouble with their editors getting these things. So they did like reports for the website, but it didn't get on the TV news um, just because they were like, oh, we kind of covered this years ago, you know, like well, don't get it. Don't get why it's a story now. And like there's, I mean, partially, you know, I think it's, um, because we are learning how far it goes right like the these reports were going to the home secretary these um the directions for these undercover officers were coming from MI5 the security okay. services were asking for specifics they were asking like a lot i was surprised how that was when actually you were saying that they, what was surprised you most but i think one of the things that I, I kind of did surprise me was I knew that, like you know, MI Five wanted the files, right? They wanted any information, so you know, put it in put it in box five hundred as well as everything else, right? As well as our own files, we give it to MI Five. But then the other way, the 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 requests, the memos coming from MI Five, going to um, the individual officers, going like, we want the name and addresses of everybody in this area who's involved in anything, and we want to know like we need this updated. I mean, so much so that undercover officers were like sending memos back, going, "This is too much work. I can't do this. I need like another three members of staff." I'm <laughs> going to. They're asking me for way too much, um, so they were like, not doing th- some parts of it, but you're doing huge parts of it, huge amount, amount of it. And it's starting to see that actually, you know, that maybe the SDS are kind of like uh, they're they're just like foot soldiers for MI5, really. Um, which kind of mm, I'd always yeah. kind of thought again, like kind of the, the MI5 were interested in the Soviets, Irish Republicans, you know, shit like that, not like you know, <laughs> like the Women's Liberation not Front. Not domestically. Or Stop the seventy. Right, right. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, well, I mean, we we saw the same thing here in the in the 67, I mean, up until today, too, is that like our intelligence services, basically, a lot of the times we'll use local cops. I mean, killing a Fred Hampton is a, a great example. I mean, that was made popular, I guess, by that movie last year. But like, you know, in, in a lot of different cases, would definitely used local cops. I mean, either as foot soldiers to beat the shit out of somebody or kill somebody or just to spy on people, you know, as, as essentially just like a manpower problem, you know? You know, you, you don't necessarily have enough agents at the federal level to do it. You got to get some fucking cops, uh, you know, on the ground.
1: I think what's interesting, yeah, too, absolutely. then, is that, is that it's like, I guess I always assumed, and I don't know how what you, what you guys think about this, but I always assumed it's, it's like there's it's way more informal like that kind of um, <laughs> communication, you know, like that it's kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like, you know, it's like your idea about what a plainclothes thing, you know, and, and oh, maybe they meet with a guy at a thing, but it's not, you know, a fucking memo. It's not like you're saying these boxes, get these back to me, but, but the kind of like chain of, I mean, it's not really chain of command, but the the kind of like tree information and kind of intelligence tree is, I, I mean, it's pretty shocking. I had no idea how involved mm. MI5 was.
2: I mean, it was interesting actually at, at the same time as the inquiry was taking place, we also had, um, Kate Wilson's case at the investigative powers tribunal taking place mm. just at the beginning of this set uh, of the inquiry. Um, and that was looking at, uh, Paul, uh, Mark Kennedy's deployment in the two thousands. Yeah. Um, now the investigative powers tribunal is like a really secretive court within the home office just for human rights stuff. Uh, and like, for years doing like legal cases against the police, it was always kind of figured that you'd never do that, but she carried on and did it. And it was at the same time as the inquiry, which is really irritating because you couldn't really hard to follow both. Uh, And it's really, it's a really complex court and the way they work is really complex. But we actually ended up with a lot of disclosure from that. And what we saw from that is like by the two thousands, we're talking like every 20 minutes. They're talking to the handlers. Like the, the relaying of information, the request for information, it's its not like kind of, oh, we have a weekly – like in the 70s, they're having twice-weekly meetings where they're filing reports and like kind of having debriefs. But like by the 2000s, they're like every 20 minutes, text messages, phone calls, constantly, constantly in touch. Um, and like the the, the the requests that are coming through – it was really interesting. At the inquiry, we had um, a one of the bits of evidence was from um, a witness said from MI, MI5 – uh, and I forget if it was in that or it was something that was in the investigative powers tribunal pack, but you know, this thing from like MI5 that like kind of, Oh, well the problem was these were like, you know, these were, these were plod doing like a, a posh boy's job. You know, they weren't, they weren't suitably good enough at it. And like, this is the thing for the security services. They're, they're, they're very elitist, very, very elitist. Yeah. You, ain't, you ain't getting recruited unless you've gone to one of the top unis or whatever. So they have got a manpower issue, you know, cause they all want to retire young as well. So, you know they mm. don't, you know, it's like, there's, there's a real shortage of, like, you, got, you gotta agents. go
0: overthrow like the Seychelles government.
2: Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 You know, you kind of like expected, you know, you expect way more of them than that. So yeah, the real manpower issues. And like, if they're you know, looking at the, at the, these sort of mass movements that are happening, they have to use like, local police.
0: A, a couple of things that stood out to me, um, too were were i mean again you talked about we we, i think we talked about this in the first episode but using the identity of dead children as their identities uh a couple things about that is one i didn't know that they actually took that from day of the jackal
2: yeah so like we kind of thought that was like kind of a joke that it would take him to the other day because it's known as the jackal run within the, um, within the SDA, which we'd heard from Peter Francis, who was the whistleblower who kind of, um, came forward, uh, who'd been deployed in the nineties. He said, oh, we called it the jackal run. So we were like, oh, right. So was it taken to the other jackal? And he was like, well, probably not, you know, but it was, it was in the film, wasn't it? But then literally we had an undercover officer, um, Paul Gray, who was one of the few we didn't see. And I was like, why can't we see his, we saw the video of them in the viewing room, but him, we didn't see his face. And I was like, oh, why don't we see his face? And then I heard his voice and it all made sense. He was so posh. It's like, oh, he's posh enough that the inquiry have given him even more anonymity than the rest. So, you know, anyway, so he, he Incredible. said, oh yeah, I was like, why did you do this thing? And he said, oh, we'd all seen day of the jackal in 1972. And so by like 1973, we were all, <laughs> we were doing jackal runs to get our identities. And it was like, what you like? Really? <laughs> and he was like, well, yeah. I mean, like, so there was other officers. Well, like, oh no, it wouldn't have been that. But he was very, I mean, he, and he was someone who was, though he was a field officer, was very in, like uh, friendly and close to the other under, uh, the other managers. Cause he was obvious. And like, he yeah. talked about like kind of, would he talk to your managers, like, mostly on the squash court, you know, I mean, this was somebody who was like, you know, very much oh of God. the same social classes as, as superiors. Yeah. And he yeah. was adamant. No, it's from, it's from Day of the Jackal. Like I mean, literally, you know, that's fucking... That, um, what they would do is go to Somerset House where he, which is the, the birth records they'd find someone who died when they were really young take that identity um, interestingly um, Rick Gibson uh, who was one of those officers who had numerous uh, sexual relationships he did that and he got he tried to infiltrate a group called Big Flame um, who yep. were like kind of a libertarian socialist, uh, group. really cool. I'm mean, like, they're fucking, they're all fucking zines, man. they're really cool. Like the aesthetic of them, the kind of topics that, you know, one of the more interesting groups in like British, uh, left-wing history, but like he tried to infiltrate them yeah. and they'd like, they checked him out and they went and looked for, looked him up and they found his birth certificate. And then they looked up the death certificates and they found his death certificate. And that's like in the seventies, like, which I, I, like when we first learned that a group in the seventies had found that these, one of these officers existed, we were like, well, why didn't they make a fuss? you know, but actually they were fucking terrified is why they were fucking terrified. They put all their information. They, they, they yeah. confronted him with it. Like first they tried to get rid of him without like telling him what they knew, but he just wouldn't fuck off. And he kept saying, Oh, just ring this person. This is my brother. He works here. And they kept like, yeah, No, this is, yeah. not coming, this is not coming up. They showed him the death certificate. Then he was like, no, no, ring, bring this person next day. didn't show up. went around his house, cleared out house, never saw again. And it was like, Oh, so you knew this had happened. Why did you continue to keep, using dead children's identities. And you know, Paul Gray went, well, we all knew that Rick Gibson had been found out because of all his dalliances, uh, not because of his Jews. Like, if he hadn't have had all those dalliances, they wouldn't have looked him up. Oh so, my was like, God. so how did you know that? And so was it common knowledge within the SDS that these officers were having sex with their targets? And he went, well, that was before I joined the SDS, I knew that. So we had officers saying that the SDS was secret within special branch. And then we've got a special branch officer going, well, I knew all the gossip about the unit before I even joined <laughs> You know, the, the, actually the gossip about that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, one of the undercover officers who spoke was uh, Graham Coates, who infiltrated anarchist groups. And he, I I mean, he's obviously got, like, a female family member who's, like, pulled him up and gone, look, this is fucking unacceptable. Because he actually went, mm-hmm. he was quite honest. I, well, I think he was honest. I, it's hard to, imagine these people being honest about the um, the misogynist attitudes that existed with the SDS at the time. There was a lot of like, good on you. Um, I bet he, he made a bite the blanket last night. Like lots of talk about the sexual conquest that various undercover officers had had. Um, and like kind of really yeah. like kind of, you know, sh- shined a light on like kind of, which all, all the other others were like, no, no, not, not at all, not at all. But then they, they, they ended up telling on themselves like by just any bits of detail, which, I mean he he also claimed that there was no racism within the within the group, which was um, like ridiculous when you saw the the reports because in the reports you'd get like, you know, people described by racial slurs, you know, use of the N-word, all that kind of stuff. Just in, in like descriptive language, you know, not having a go at them just going, this was a you know you know, like that kind of language. Um and he said, Oh no, we, we weren't using racist language like in the safe house chatting but we were in our official reports that were being filed to MI5. So like, you know, but the, the, um, yeah, the, the use of the dead children's identities, like even though it was blown open early on, they just kept doing it anyway. And like was, that, it was put to them like, do you not feel that it was like bad for the families? You know, a lot of these children had died in really traumatic ways. But I should point out as well, it's not just that they stole the identity as in the name. they like went to visit where the person would have, was family were from, they, they staked out the the parents. They like worked out where they would have gone to school and then they kind of constructed the fake life that this child would have had and made that their life, which obviously is incredible. I mean like incredibly fucking disturbing for the parents of those children, because it's like, of course they've always fucking wondered, Oh, they would have gone to that school or maybe they'd have gone and worked there. The local they may have done that. And they, these undercover officers had like thought that up and then like told people that's what their life was, you know? um, yeah, which is like, uh, but but they were even now. Like it was put to them, like, well, ha, what do you think of it now? Well, uh, like in retrospect, it's like, well, I didn't think of it at all. But now, what do you think of it? Well, well, I'll tell you this. I don't, I don't agree with those families going to the media and making a fuss. It's not right. Oh my like, god! What you're annoyed with the families for being upset? You fucker! You fucking scumbag! Well, that that's that's the thing that really sort of most
0: strikes me on like a sort of second level about these guys. And you mentioned this earlier, sort of their use of like trauma as a weapon. I mean, you 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 alluded to that earlier when we were talking about like yeah, like when these guys would try to like not only get in these groups but seduce women in these groups. Sometimes for political mm-hmm. purposes. Sometimes for quote political purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, they use they would always <laughs> have I mean all these guys would have some really traumatic backstory right like I mean almost mm. always and that would get them in and in this this, you know stealing like a dead children, child's identity it's sort of another use of this like really traumatic thing as a weapon essentially mm. against people who yeah. a lot of the times I mean I looked at some of these goddamn reports these guys were filing they're talking about fucking going like they're writing up full reports about meetings where people were printing off fly uh, you know, yeah. and like meetings where literally, I mean, anybody here has been to a political meeting where nothing gets done, which is, I would say, the vast majority 99%. of <laughs> political meetings. Yeah. Um, I mean, imagine somebody writing up an entire thing about the, the granular detail about exactly what went on there, who chaired mm. it, who said what, all this kind of stuff. I mean, the actual reports you can read a lot of these, and uh, they're they're, mm. I, I mean, they're almost it's stupefying how useless they are. And then like we talked about last episode, you realize that actually the point is, is not what you think it is. It's not because they thought the SWP Mm -hmm. was going to take over the, uh, take over the UK. It's the point was to uh, to, 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 to basically a means of social control.
1: Well, it's like the unit itself is the point. You know what I mean? It's like, even the like um, mundane infiltration is what gives cause itself to the unit existing in the first place you know like Mm. it's 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 a total mindfuck I think just you know this is something we talked about again on the uh, you know in our interviews with uh, scholars researching the FBI's use of this these kind of similar tactics Mm. in the U.S. but it's like there is this idea that it's like you know the cops infiltrating the feds infiltrating at a level in order to stop you know it must mean that something was so powerful they had to intervene and it's mm. like no 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 like this is just like the kind of mundane aspects of like the the of the way the police state works itself
2: you know mm. I mean, I would say on that, I mean, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. And you look at like the, S- the SDS annual reports, which are like j- basically justifying the next round of funding. Yeah, of course. And like, mm. they'll, they'll say things like, oh, it's been a very quiet year, but like the left is just waiting for an issue they can jump on to make a fuss. So, you know, we still need the unit because even though not much right, has happened right, recently, right. like soon, boy, they'll be up to something. Do you, don't you, what? They'll, they'll use some, some death to like, to, to stir up anti-police sentiment. You know, this was like, yeah they're justifying their existence, right? but also like well and this has come across very strongly in the way the inquiry's gone about the the, the dangerous thing isn't like what isn't the actions, it's the ideas, yeah, you know, is that that's what Absolutely. they're really like kind of like upset about. they're really like kind of concerned about is these ideas that like you know, women should have full rights and like you know, that maybe ethnic minorities shouldn't have to worry about being attacked in the street. These sort of like these radical ideas which totally go against the vested interests of the establishment of the state in the UK, you know? And like, it's these kind of, um, like we've seen it a lot of the inquiry, like with the questions like, well, what, what doesn't your ideology eventually lead to the overthrow of the state? And it's like, well, yeah, but like nobody's doing that with, you know, are actually engaged with <laughs> you know selling newspapers, building a movement. And it's like, oh yeah, but one day if you build a big enough movement, you could have overthrown the state. It's like, well, I guess, man, you know, fucking hell. Yeah. And like that kind of thing of like, um, when like i'm always like i'm always really wary of this thing of like kind of oh and they were just messing around and there was nothing there was no point of it it's like there was a point they were holding back social progress they Absol- were holding yeah, back yeah, yeah. like progressive attitudes they were like kind of I, I mean i don't know if it would have made any difference for when like apartheid fell but i i'm sure that like britain's um involvement and britain's um support of like the apartheid regime in south africa would have ebbed away a lot earlier if the progressive grassroots social movements have been allowed to blossom in the way that like kind of public opinion suggested they would have done you know um and like it's that it's that kind of thing which was really there you know that was that's what they were about i think
1: well before we wrap up what can what are the next steps in this we mentioned that it's getting pushed out like a year two years there's never going to be an end to this is there (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> it never ends and it will never end. I mean, like, you know, we've, we've climate, imminent climate change will come and fucking stop us from playing around these silly games. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, as as it goes, like this, this, this will continue for, for a long time. I mean, part of the thing is every phase of the inquiry is just a massive info dump. I mean, like right. when you're sat in the inquiry, you're getting like this, live, Classic kind of, this live feed with people. Yeah, yeah. At the same time as we're hearing from somebody, they're publishing like, you know, Ten thousand pages of files about it, which mm-hmm. are like those awful scans of fucking bad copies of duplicates from the nineteen seventies that is really hard to read. But like, if anybody fancies themselves, if any of your listeners fancy themselves as a bit of an, an researcher or an investigator, I don't know if anybody <laughs> listening to the show might be like that. Yeah, like there is so much information on the UPCI website. Like there is so much. Like uh, the undercover research group, um, which I'm involved with, like we do a, a, an immense amount of work sifting through that, finding like stories, but. What's really like the the hardest thing is, is taking like what we've just found out and matching it with what's always been in the public domain. Things that have like in old, like kind of left-wing publications and like kind of seeing significance. Because sometimes the significance only comes into view when you realize the stuff that's not in the reports, the things that was happening at the same time. Absolutely. Uh, And like there's, there's so much of that. There's such a huge amount of that, that like, that's going to keep us busy until the next phase of the inquiry and we won't have finished it by the time, you know, so I've started doing this podcast with some of the other people who are affected and we're just kind of going through like Mm -hmm. various strands, like picking them up and like trying to pull through them. But like, you know, we could be doing it forever and we still won't have finished. Like there's so much of that to do that I think like that's the kind of, um, that's what's going to keep us busy until the next time the inquiry sits again, you know?
1: Yeah, that's a good little call out to the little gumshoes listening that there is a lot of research to do and the, and the, you know our unfortunate blue checky journalists listening that, you know, there's Mm. a massive story here and a lot Mm. of this can connect to also what we've seen in the U S it's funny. Brace and I were talking like before we started recording, like we cannot imagine anyone in Congress, including the like left wing (laughs) members um, ever Mm. calling for an investigation into like COINTELPRO. (laughs) Like it just is, it's like outside it's, I wouldn't even, I don't even think that people would think to even ask for that. Mm. You know, like, that's how low the horizon, the, like, imaginative Mm. horizon is um, when it comes to thinking about, you know, the way the police and the feds operate.
2: The the majority of people in Parliament in the UK who've, like, kind of made a fuss about this have been personally targeted. Um, The fact that Theresa May called for public inquiry still shocks me. I think that's the most shocking thing. interesting,
1: yeah. She was always kind of a wild bird, though.
2: I don't know, man. I don't know what, like, I don't know what, I don't know what it is. I mean, I think literally, I think it was just austerity as he wanted to cut the police. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. From the police Which band. is so Go funny. On, Critical support. <laughs> but like, you know, for like, yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. For like, for, for good neoliberal reasons, you know, they're just too expensive. But, um, like the, yeah, it, it was such a weird thing they did that. But, like, you know, otherwise, you know, we were talking, like, people like Peter Hain or Jeremy Corbyn or Diane Abbott or any, or John McDonnell, they've all been targeting themselves. All, they've all got registry yeah. files. You know, that's why Absolutely. they're bothered. I mean, not, you know, don't disparage them having, like, obviously good reasons why. But to be honest, if you actually cared about this stuff, of course there's a file on you. Of course there is, you know. Yeah, one of the things yeah, that's been really irritating, yeah, actually, is, like, is that there's this thing of like kind of people go in like, oh, we've, we've known this for years. And it's like, no, we haven't. We've guessed this for years. Now we've got it in black and white. It's like so much of what we're finding out is like, yeah, well, we kind of guessed that was the case, but we didn't have any actual fucking solid gold proof of it. Right. We just had like kind of a thought that this was like, you know, what was going on. Uh, and you know, a lot of our, uh, prejudices and like kind of theories have been like proved right, but more often than not, they've gone way further. Like, that the the infiltration yeah, is much yeah, yeah. deeper. The infiltration's much more, you know, mundane as well. You know, like you say that like there's so much, so much about like childcare. Like, you know, so many spying on yes. so many children, you know, so much like an insane
0: yeah. amount about childcare. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: But I I think there's partially, it was like kind of, they were disgusted. There were men were doing it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that point you bring up about the kind of attitude of like, well, we've always known this, whatever, whatever. It's like so important because it is this kind of like, um, it's this hurdle that I think it's like a cynical hurdle that needs to be overcome. Mm. That there is a way of like Mm. foreclosing, not just like curiosity, but also like a reckoning of, how mm. state power operates and what that means politically. And it's like, we get this all the time about stuff we cover on the podcast from, you know, the sixties or the seventies. People will be like, Oh, who cares? Yeah. We know that.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Who, who, yeah. Who yeah. knew? It's like, but you didn't and you don't. And we actually mm. still don't. I mean, that's the whole point is that, mm. you know, like you say, this inquiry is completely and totally, um, you know, manipulate, it, it, you know, what we call like a limited hangout, right? This is how the, these things operate. Mm-hmm. You get a little bit of information, just enough, or you get like 10,000 pages, so much that you can't go through it. You know, all of these kind of roadblocks they put up. And mm-hmm. they do that in, as a way of controlling what's out there and continuing these programs. So, like, we actually mm-hmm. don't know, I, I don't know, f- we don't know a majority of, of the scope of these things. And and it is important to to come to terms with, least of I mean, the you know, least of which is just for justice for the victims, right? Let alone the political reasons.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say like, I don't think like man, I mean like as much as, um, one of the most important parts of like kind of bringing all this stuff was like kind of re- grabbing the narrative. Yeah. Trying to control some of the narrative of people whose like lives have been controlled. And like a lot of people have really been like that. We don't want to be considered victims, man. And like, I mean, yeah. like, that's always been my politics. I'm not a victim. I'm a combatant. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you know, I was targeted, yeah. but like I'm trying to target them back. Right. And that's like, I think it's important to like kind of be on the front foot with that shit. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Right on. Yeah. But One of the things that's really annoyed me, another thing that's really annoyed me, um, (laughs) now I've started thinking about things that annoyed me about this process, is that like so many of the cops have had so much anonymity, right? They've had so much like, you know, you can't see their faces, you don't know their names, we're referring to them by cipher, no real names have been given out, even some cover names have been kept secret. Some officers don't even have a cipher. They're so secret that all we've got is a gist about them, which um, purposefully like mixes together their evidence with the evidence of others, now, interestingly, one of those was one, uh, the only officer who was there when Blair, Blair Peach died. Though he claims he left before that incident happened. I mean, just if people aren't familiar with the death of Blair Peach, Blair Peach was beaten to death by six members of the special dem- special patrol group um, who were using homemade weapons. Uh, and when they when uh, the, their houses were searched, they found they had Nazi memorabilia on display in their homes. Right, so like pretty fucking serious fuckers like it took it took um 30 years for the Cass report which like looked into what happened to be released to the family that named essentially the officers who would have been the ones guilty of it and particularly a guy called alan murray inspector alan murray who would have been the first out the van who was using a homemade kosh which kind of fits with the blow to the head which killed blair peach murdered blair peach what's a kosh so a kosh is like a, a, a like a club, like a homemade club, but like a, okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like a improvised club. Um, which he was using instead of a truncheon because it was more and like some of the stuff they had looked fucking medieval that they were going around smashing people killing people's heads in with. Surprised nobody died, didn't die earlier, to be perfectly frank. But like that guy's alive and well, he's a doctor, he works at he I mean he was at um University of Sheffield. Like, nothing's happened to him, right? Like we know, he beat someone to death on a demonstration, right? Like one of the most cause celeb like issues on the left, the death of Blair Peach. There's been songs about it, there's been films, there's been everything about it, right? Like we know who he is, we know his name. Like he appears on fucking the news sometimes, talking about unrelated issues. Like he's a, nobody's gone around and fucking stove his face in, have they? You know what I mean? Like the the idea that these undercover cops who infiltrated these other groups would are somehow in danger. Because if they, they were named now, is just fucking laughable. Yet they've got so much secrecy—secrecy secrecy which is not afforded to like normal cops who infiltrate, like you know, proper crime. Like you know, people like Neil Woods or, um, you know, people like that who've like been undercover in like kind of you know drug gangs and stuff. And, and then they they write books and go on bloody TV. They put away thousands of people in prison. Like if anybody was going to shoot somebody for yeah. fucking, it, like Neil Woods would be dead, but he's not. You can hear him on like a hundred podcasts every week. You know, I mean kind of interesting guy really for a cop, but like, you know, it, there's this, this thing of like, kind of, they need so much secrecy because they're in so much danger, which is just such bullshit, man. It's such bullshit. And like, and it seems like the, you know, when you've got people like who, you not they're not even knowing their cipher. they haven't got a cipher for them. You can't even talk about them. It's like really hard to talk about people. You yeah. haven't even got a cipher. So like, yeah, totally. It's just so, you know, like it's, it's like, it really is grasping at fucking steam, you know? Uh, and like, so you kind of get the impression that you've got some sacrificial lambs going out there. Uh, but like the, you know, the people who did like the worst things, the people who have got the most secrets and like any time, like, um, Blair Peach was brought up, like literally every cop would, some of them have been like quite open about certain things. And then Blair Peach comes up and it's just like, They've they've made a vow of silence on that shit. All of them made a vow of silence on that shit. Was it discussed? No. Never discussed. Never discussed. Nothing. Nothing ever about Blair Peach. Ever. Not once. Not never. Not none. Like, do you ever talk about it now when reunions? No, no one's ever mentioned it. We've never mentioned it, ever. It's like fucking. Yeah, you want to see great
1: examples of solidarity? Check out the cops.
2: (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Right, man. Fucking hell. Like if we had that, man, we'd (laughs) never lose a fucking strike. You know what I mean? Jesus. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Tom, it has been um, again, despite the subject matter, an absolute pleasure having you on, uh, Always, and yeah. I'm thrilled that uh, Tom now has, Well, I feel it's fucked up that you have a podcast because doing a podcast is a, a low, rotten, dirty thing for a human being to do. <laughs> but uh, but I but for my own personal reasons, I'm glad you had one. And to remind our fucking listeners it is called spy cops info podcast you can find that like on itunes and everything like that i've been listening to the side
1: yeah podcast. we'll link to it everywhere we'll man. To it.
0: uh and also check Cheers. him out yeah, nice uh one. at tom b fowler on twitter um and yeah tom a pleasure we have uh he is i want to make this clear tom agreed to come on the show despite the fact that pubs are reopening tonight
2: yeah, well, they, they reopened like um, on the weekend indoors, but all of my mates are going to the pub tonight. Um, mm. And like, they've been there for the last like three hours. But you know, I did this oh, anyway. Oh shit! So because, you go like, there.
0: And this is true well, dedication. You know, uh,
2: is uh, our indoor pub a uh, uh, bar's open indoors in LA now? Are you like? Are you can you go indoors? At the pub?
1: <sighs>
0: you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of. But some, a lot of places. Yeah, it's that exact, still, like? Yeah, yeah. A lot of places still like they won't. Live. Yeah, it's
1: all different. Like all the cities are all different here.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I mean like so it's uh, there's a lot of places you can go here where it's kinda of shit. You've got to sit in a booth like away from you don't actually can see people, but like mm, there's yeah. some places, you know. Like if you if you know I the saw right Barrage, places, man you're know, a picture of
1: Farage yeah. out there.
2: Oh fucking, <laughs> fucking hell, man. How the fuck, man? Like King Grifter, How eh? Is what he a fucking fuck? Grifter guy. <gasps> you know I mean? like, he's on Cameo.
0: Yeah, (laughs) of course he is. You can pay him like whatever two hundred bucks to like say, uh, you know, like oh my god, I love you or something like that. Like he he will do like a personal message for you.
2: And loads of people will do that. They'll be ironically doing it. Yeah, Yeah. it's not like kind of they.
1: I know it's like a funny idea until you realize you're literally giving him money. Exactly.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, don't do that kids. Say no to fucking Farage cameos. Take one thing away from this episode. Don't get a cameo <laughs> of fucking Nigel Farage.
1: Yeah, yeah. Don't you cameos, please. For real. Well, I feel better about the cops. Me too. You know what? I, they're
0: just regular guys like you and me who yeah, leave their wives for five years, insinuate themselves into the lives of people who are trying to like uh, campaign against apartheid, have sex with them, lie to them, get them kicked out of their groups. And then uh, uh, presumably there's some sort of payoff personally for these people in the end. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, we're like that, except we don't do any of that. We just have fuck Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I am paid by the UK government, but that's to spread goodwill abroad. <laughs> I'm a goodwill ambassador. You're one
1: them. of the five guys.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> well, with that being said, my name, you know what? You know what? A lot of, lot of, lot of to- tossers in this fucking um, dun- dungeon. Oh, my God. Uh, what well,
1: my name? My name, Bryce. <laughs> I'm Liz. We are, of course, joined by our producer, Young Chomsky, and we will see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs> Jeff, 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 Jeff